0: You're listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast, hosted by me, Dr. Mark Halstead. I cover current hot topics and recent research in the world of the young athlete relevant to healthcare professionals. This is the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. When we talk about sports medicine, we think about injuries to all sorts of structures in our body. The muscles and tendons, ligaments, the bones, the brain... But what about your teeth? You've all seen professional hockey players with their jack-o'-lantern type smiles as a badge of honor. What do we need to be thinking about in sports with our teeth, and how can we protect your pearly whites? Today on the podcast, we talk with a dentist about the common injuries to the teeth we may see in sports. I'm Dr. Mark Hulsted, your host, and this is the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Paul Nativi. Dr. Nativi is a graduate of the Washington University School of Dental Medicine, He started the sports dentistry programs at St. Louis University in 1982 and Southern Illinois University Edwardsville in 2009 and continues to direct both programs. He's also the team dentist at both universities. He served as the president for the Academy of Sports Dentistry from 2011 to 2012. He's been a guest speaker at my annual sports medicine update three times now, which I think makes him the most frequent speaker from outside of my institution at my conference. Welcome to the podcast, Paul. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great having you. It's good to talk with you. I know you're down in sunny Florida. We've got some nice weather here in St. Louis today. So that's at least a plus. But I know for a lot of our listeners, their training on dental injuries was likely pretty minimal. I know for me, certainly that was the case. We hope the appropriate athletes are wearing their mouth guards during participation, especially when we know they make a great difference in reducing oral facial injuries. But we both know that that does not always happen. I'd love to spend our time today talking to discuss more about some common things we may see in sports medicine related to the teeth. And hopefully you can give us all some practical tips as what to do until we get someone like you as an expert. So let's start with some basics about the anatomy of the tooth. What should sports medicine doctors and athletic trainers and physical therapists know?
0: Well, if you imagine upper central incisor out of the mouth, I think we've all seen a diagram of that or maybe even seen one. You notice the white part. That's the clinical crown. the rest of the tooth basically is the root, and through the middle of the tooth, from the end of the root to about halfway up the crown, is the nerve of the pulp. The tooth is made up of enamel, which is the white substance that you see when someone smiles you're seeing their enamel. The enamel covers the dentin, and the dentin makes up most of the tooth. It's a softer material similar to bone, and has little tubules that do conduct pain and proprioception. Under the enamel is the pulp where the nerve and blood supply of the tooth is. Now the root is covered in a cementum and obviously the root of the tooth is in bone, but it's not just like a post in dirt. It's actually cemented and suspended with some periodontal fibers and periodontal ligaments. These are very important and we're going to talk about those a little later when we talk about injuries. But you can almost think of it like a hammock. So there's a little bit of movement there, a little bit of play. That's basically the parts of the tooth that we were interested in today.
1: So before we get to those actual injuries you were referring to there, what, what things should we be concerned about in someone who's reporting just tooth pain in general. I know there can be a lot of things that may fit into that category, similar to for us, just in general medicine, causes of headaches. There are several pages in the medical textbook of things that can cause a headache, but are there some things with tooth pain without an injury that you would be potentially be more concerned about that would require more urgent evaluation for an athlete with tooth pain? Well, I, yes, obviously cavities are a source of pain and probably the, the
0: biggest source of pain. And that's when the basically the bacteria the acid-producing bacteria have kind of dissolved away the enamel and got into the sensitive dent so the teeth often will be sensitive to maybe cold or sweet dent. and you know when you go to the dentist for your checkup and he takes a little sharp pointy thing and he starts poking around on the surfaces of the teeth he's actually looking for soft spots which indicate cavities if the cavity gets too deep Gets into that pulp, we talked about the nerve and the blood supply, that causes the the nerve to die, and then the nerve will abscess, start basically an infection, which is a a real source of pain. And of course, sometimes it comes with swelling and fistulas and all kinds of neat things like that. The other source of abscesses can be trauma. Another source of tooth pain is a fractured tooth. Sometimes the tooth cracks, so you bite down and you feel pain. When you release your teeth, the pain goes away. So fractured teeth is another thing. Sinusitis is a a cause of pain, especially in the upper back teeth, the upper molars. Occlusion can cause dental pain, the way your teeth come together. If you're hitting one or two teeth before the other teeth or you're hitting them a little harder than the other teeth, if your occlusion is not balanced, that can cause pain. And TMJ, Temporal and mandibular joint disorders can cause tooth pain also. So those are just a few of the most, I think probably the most common sources of pain.
1: Are any of those things that for you as a dentist that would kind of raise a red flag that would need something more urgent for them to get seen? Well, I think if anybody calls the office to say they're swollen, uh, that's pretty much
0: a red flag for me. We see them you know, immediately. And there's always the phantom pain that I just, I don't know where it's coming from.
1: You know, yeah, we have that in sports medicine a yeah. lot in other parts of the body, too. Uh, that, you know, something
0: just doesn't always make sense. Right. You just can't figure out what it is. So my rule of thumb is if I don't know what it is, I don't do anything. Gotcha. Uh, and sometimes, you know, a week later, something shows up and sometimes it just goes away and never hear about it again. So it's I guess that just keeps me humble. Yeah, Absolutely.
1: Let's move on to kind of injuries in sports. You know, you and I have worked on some basketball tournaments together. And I think honestly, out of all the events I have ever covered in my sports medicine career, the time when I have had people who have had dental injuries is when I've covered events with you. So I don't know if you're just the the kind of the bad omen that's there or just I'm fortunate enough that we cover an event that we see a lot of dental trauma in, particularly the basketball tournaments. And especially a lot of those guys not wearing their mouth guard. So what are some of the, the common dental injuries we see in sports? Well, it's, uh, it's funny that you mentioned basketball because baseball really is
0: the most common in the United States is the most common source of sports related dental injuries between about age seven and 12. And, and I always say that either the kids learn to catch the ball or they stop playing baseball. After age 12, it's basketball. And it's really, I mean, there's no NCAA mandate, there's no high school mandate that the athletes wear mouth guards. And I'm always amazed at how, at how many don't. I mean, I offer to make mouth guards every year for the men's basketball team and the ladies basketball team. And almost none of the men and few of the women actually take, take me up on the offer. So we end up making mouth guards for the, t- for the sports that are mandated by the NCAA, like field hockey. But, you know, when we talk about injuries, I mean, they come in all sorts. Uh, just a concussed tooth. And what I mean by, a con- by concussed tooth, it means it's just been bumped. It's been banged. And it's probably happened to all of us. And the tooth feels a little bit funny for maybe a day or so, and then it goes away. So that, that's, that's a very common injury. There's really nothing to do for it. I always recommend that somewhere along the line in the next whole few days, a week, that you have the tooth x-rayed by your dentist just to make sure that there's not a root fracture. There probably isn't, but if there is a root fracture, we want to know about it so we can treat it. Probably the next injury I like to talk about is just a crown fracture, teeth fracture. That's the most common injury. And the severity, as you can imagine, depends on where the fracture is. If it's just the enamel, it's really not a big deal. Most of the time, we just smooth off the rough edges and they're good to go. If it's into the dentin, then we have to restore the tooth. Now, it's best if we have the piece of tooth that broke off, because we can reattach it. If not, we have to use uh, some bonded filling materials. The most, probably the next severest type of Tooth fracture is one that involves the pulp. As you can imagine, it's it's a fracture that's through the enamel, through the dentin, and into the pulp. Because then we have to worry about the viability of the pulp. There's some treatments we can do, but it often ends up in you know needing a root canal or endodontics later down the road. And and these are termed uh, by dentists because we're all kind of dentists are kind of simple as class one, class two, and class three. There are more complex injuries where there crown root fractures and all that sort of thing, but those are those really get complicated and the treatments are really much more involved. But I think the the root fracture is the, the most common injury and the good news is it has the best outcome. Another injury we should probably talk about is the luxation. And a luxation just basically means that the tooth has been moved. I mean, if you look in the dental literature, they each direction has, has got a name. But the basic concept is the tooth is moved from the socket. It's not where it was. Some of these luxations just require pushing the tooth back into the socket. So on the field, I would say just push the tooth back in the socket, have them bite on uh, gauze. Oh, I forgot to mention with the tooth fracture, a good way to treat that during the game is with some soft orthodontic wax, which is pretty easy to obtain or even some sugarless gum just to cover the tooth if it's sensitive.
1: That's for the trainers. They need to have that in their training bags, right? Right. soft little, soft little sugarless cotton. gum, that's an easy one. Yeah. But the, it's, you know any dentist
0: has this, so, I mean, contact me. I'll send you some. But uh, get, getting back to the luxation, some of the luxation just require pushing the tooth back into the socket, having a bite on gauze. They need to get to a dentist immediately to have the tooth splinted into place so it stays there for seven to 10 days. Sometimes luxation happened with bony fractures. So when that happens, it's not as easy as placing the tooth back in. You have to reduce the fracture. You know, it's not difficult to do. You can certainly give it a try, but typically a dentist needs to do it you need to have them anesthetized before you try this. It typically isn't that bad to do. Once you get the bones aligned, the tooth goes right back in. Same treatment, you splint it, which is a wire that goes from the tooth on either side that is not injured and just holds that tooth in place. We usually leave it on for 7 to 10 days. Another injury to talk about is an intrusion, just what you would think the tooth has been driven up into the gums, into the bone, so that it looks shorter. It looks like the gum is coming down further, but it actually isn't. The tooth has just been driven up into the bone. In fact, on some occasions, it's actually driven into the sinus. So you think the tooth is missing, and it actually isn't. You take a radiograph, you find it in the nasal sinus. There's really no treatment to do for this on the field. They need to go to a dentist. It's uh, probably the worst prognosis of any of the injuries because it strips. We talked about the periodontal ligaments before. If you can imagine when that tooth is driven up into the bone, it just shreds that periodontal ligament. So the tooth will ankylose, which means it'll kind of freeze. It'll kind of attach to the bone. And then it's a lot of times the tooth will actually start resorbing. We try to replace the tooth in its proper place again with orthodontic treatment or sometime with just surgical extraction, get it in the right place and then split it. But the prognosis is not the best for that injury.
1: Hey, Paul, is there is there a way, you know, when I think about that injury and you're talking about it's getting driven in and if you're just clinically looking at that person, is there any way that that person who's looking at them, whether it be an athletic trainer, a team doc, can tell whether it's intruded versus fractured versus uh, that it's popped out? Because you talked about it looks like sometimes it can pop out. Is there any way that or any identifying things when you examine that person that would kind of clue you in? I think the the well the fracture obviously the the whole crown's
0: not going to be there. If it's intruded, most of the time it just looks shorter. There won't be any rough edges. Of course, sometimes you can have a fracture in an intrusion, which just complicates things. Sure. But a straight fracture, you you'll feel a rough edge. If it's just intruded, there won't be any rough edges. It'll be at the crown. The crown will actually be intact, unless. You know, sometimes this happens and, you know, you get the trifecto of things, you know, a fractured bone, intruded tooth, fractured tooth, that sort of thing. I guess we'll talk about the avulsed tooth when the tooth is knocked out. And, and when you look, I mean, you'll, you'll, all you'll see is a bloody soccer. There'll be, you know, nothing there. Chances are the athlete knows that the tooth was knocked out. They just say, my, you know, my tooth's gone. So it just looks a little different at the intrusion. There's a lot more bleeding. If an avulsion happens, the tooth is knocked out, most of the time, the athlete knows it. I mean, they they feel it come out. There's a lot more hemorrhaging, a lot more bleeding. When the tooth is intruded, it typically isn't as much bleeding or almost no bleeding. So those are kind of some ways to differentiate the two injuries. And most of the time when the tooth is intruded, it isn't intruded all the way
1: up into the sinus. That's very rare, but it does happen. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue to talk about dental injuries and athletes. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From the Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Dr. Mark Halstead here. Do you like what you're hearing on the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast? If you want to learn how your business, organization, or effort can benefit from my focused audience of professionals interested in pediatric sports medicine, connect with us and let's have a conversation. You can reach out to us at pediatricsportsmedicinepodcast.com.
0: Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Unlike TV or radio ads, where every instance the ads are broadcast, they're only played once and lost forever. Perpetual advertising can have repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, and even years after they're inserted in a podcast. So even if a podcast is a few years old, your ads will still be impactful to repeat listeners as well as new listeners. This gives your advertising dollar the most bang for the buck.
1: Find out more about perpetual advertising at twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. We're back with Dr. Paul Nativi talking about dental injuries in athletes. I'll give you a scenario here. This was a a personal case that I dealt with. This was at my high school for a football game. It actually was on Halloween several years back, and... I had to show up a little bit late because I did the, the obligation as a father of taking your kids trick or treating before I no, went to the absolutely. game and got there about 15 minutes after the game started. My athletic trainer at the time, she asked me to come over and see this kid who got basically punched in their mouth when the kid got tackled. I mean, literally the kid was down tackled and the other opponent came in and punched him in the mouth underneath his helmet. And so I looked in his mouth and, and, and back uh, in the back corner, there looked like there was an opening in the gum. And, you know, at the time I'm like, hmm, I wonder if he knocked the tooth out and that's just where the tooth was. And then looking at him a little bit further, I had him bite down and he clearly had a malocclusion and also definitely had a lot of tenderness along the jaw. And, and lo and behold, I, I mean, obviously, you know where this is going. He had right. fractured his jaw sure. from that. But, it, you know, is there anything about that type of scenario there when we're talking you know, about teeth popping out that. You know, is that something that you should do when you're examining someone? Is is look to see if there's like malocclusion and stuff like that, in uh, order to kind of determine those two types of injuries. If it's more in the back teeth, the answer is yes. And
0: most of the injuries that we see are to the six anterior teeth. They're leading your face, right? I mean, they're you know next to your nose. They're right out there. And if any of the teeth are going to be injured, about eighty-five to ninety percent of the time, it's those anterior teeth. That's not saying that. I mean, I've seen every tooth fractured. In a case of a jaw fracture, either maxillary, which I've seen on occasion, or uh, mandibular, would is probably a little more common, you always look at occlusion. I mean, I always have just have a bite down. I mean, that's just something I do with every injury I look at. Some athletes have malocclusions, but if it is a fracture, I mean, you can usually tell pretty quickly. the The midline shifts away from the fracture. You can, I mean, you can just tell. But I, I'll I agree with that important. sentiment.
1: That was pretty obvious for this kid.
0: Yeah. It, it's important to look at that. Most of the time with an anterior tooth injury, you're not going to see that, but that doesn't mean you can't see it. And, and a lot of times we see fractured bones with no dental injuries at all. I guess it depends on the force of the blow, the direction of the blow, and the placement of the blow as to what you know, whether it's injured.
1: Anything else to touch on as far as uh, other injuries that we see commonly? We talked about, you know, the fractures and the luxations, the intrusions, the... Well, let's talk
0: a little bit about the tooth knocked out. So you're at a game and there's an injury, teeth are knocked out. So what's the first thing you do? You find the tooth. So it's on the ground, it's in the grass, it's somewhere. It's on the, you check the uniform, check the socks, it's somewhere. So when you find it, you pick it up by the crown by the white part, by the enamel, not by the root. The next thing you do is rinse it off. You get the grass and the dirt off of it, the rocks off of it with water, only water. You don't use, you know, Gatorade, Coca-Cola, just rinse it with water. Then you have to fight the urge to wipe off the root because it's gonna have all this kind of fibery stuff hanging on it. Once again, that's a periodontal ligament. And that's very, very important To the long time health of that tooth. So you don't want it, that's why we don't want you to touch the root or do anything at all with that. So once you have it cleaned off, I always recommend trying to put it back in. If it's straight avulsion with no bony fractures, it'll go right back in. It's like a piece of a puzzle. So I would say you put your hand behind the athlete's head and just gently push it into place. Once you get it into place, Have them bite down on gauze. I mean, try to obviously try to get the front to the front. But, I mean, I've seen them put in backwards. We can can work with it. The whole key here is getting that tooth back into the position it's supposed to be and back into the socket as quickly as possible. The quicker it's put in, the better the outcome for the tooth. And, you know, don't worry about doing anything wrong because, you know, things are about as bad as it's going to be. So you really can't do anything wrong. Now, if you can't get it back in, I mean, I tell all my athletic trainers, put it back in. Most I've never had one do it yet because they just don't want to try. But if you can't get it back in, you have to put it in transport medium. We can talk about Save-A-Tooth, which is great. It works really well. The problem that, that I have with Save-A-Tooth, of course, is that it seems to always be out of date relatively expensive. It's about $25 a kit. And it's always out of date. I used to buy them and give them to my athletic trainers. I don't anymore. The research has found that milk, skim milk works as good as anything for the first 12 hours. And remember, we want to get this put back in as quick as possible. I just always bring some skim milk with me to a, when I cover a sporting event, just in a little jar. If you don't have milk, the next best thing, I believe, is to take a cup and have the athlete spit into the cup and place the tooth into the saliva. So I think that's probably the
1: best thing to do as far as a uh,
0: balls tooth, the tooth has been knocked out.
1: Yeah, I'll agree with you on the Save a Tooth kits. I, they Mine always got to the point where they expired and they weren't any good anymore. And I'd have it in my bag for years and I stopped caring. Like I said, you you were the only black cloud I really had as far as the need to use dental injuries. And so I had you there. So, so, so I guess I just need to bring you instead of the save a tooth and,
0: <laughs> and I'll well, be okay. Maybe,
1: maybe if I just retire, those injuries will go away. That's right. That's right. Uh, you mentioned skim milk. I'm kind of curious. Is there something special about skim milk as opposed to the other more fatty milks? You know,
0: I, I don't know. I think it's just the protein level maybe versus the fats. Uh, I, I, the research didn't say. I mean, they did whole milk, one percent skim milk, coconut milk, all kind of milk, and they found that skim milk was the best. Huh. Interesting. But, but they all work. Don't. I would yeah. not use chocolate milk, by the way. Other
1: than chocolate milk, that didn't work very well.
0: And the idea is, you just want to keep those cell, the periodontal ligament cells, and the fibers viable.
1: So can you give us your opinion on mouth guards? I had just recently had an episode where we talked about mouth guards in relation to concussion and, and the research and the a systematic review that was just done showing that mouth guards are extremely effective as far as reducing oral facial injuries, but the jury is still out for reducing the likelihood of concussion. But in general, where where do you find them to be most appropriate to use? And do you get any pushback from the athletes? I mean, you already mentioned that you offer them to the basketball players and they <laughs> it seems like the majority don't want to wear them. But, but what are your thoughts about them?
0: Well, you know, obviously, if I if I could, if I I could, had an appliance or device that would reduce or eliminate ACL injuries, do you think people would wear them? They probably would. Of course. Especially if they didn't interfere with performance. And I also agree with what you said about uh, the concussions. We've been at the Academy for Sports Dentistry, we've been trying for years to... Uh, show a correlation between uh, wearing a, a mouth guard and concussions and we there's just been no research to date that really verifies anything like that. They started doing studies back in the sixties on cadavers and that showed that the mouth guards reduce the forces, but there's hasn't been a correlation to date as far as concussions go. But That doesn't mean I'm not in favor of mouth guards, and and I really am. I think it's it's probably one of the best things you can do to protect your teeth, if not the best. I guess the best thing would be never to play sports and go outside. But that being said, I think uh, mouth guards are terrific as far as uh, preventing dental injuries. Now, But there's three different types of mouth guards. The first one are the stock mouth guards, and they cost about $5 or $6 at all the the sporting goods stores. They come in all kinds of neat colors. Uh, they say they're guaranteed or whatever on the box, but the problem with them is that they don't stay in. There's three sizes: small, medium, large. I mean, they move around. You can't talk with them. You can't breathe. Either. The only way they stay in is for to for you to bite your teeth together. Well, most athletes when they're running, their mouth is open, so it's, they're just not very effective at all. In fact, I don't recommend them for anything. The next are the boiling bites, and that's probably the most common type. You can buy them for, I don't know, 15 to 35, 40 bucks, I guess. Some of them are better than others. There's one brand that meets the ADA seal of approval. It's been awarded the seal of approval. Some of these mouth guards you boil, soften up the, the inner lining, and then bite into them. Some you put in a microwave. If you can get them to fit, they'll work. Some of them are more comfortable than others. They work really well in the mixed dentition. And what I mean by that is, the child that has primary teeth and adult teeth because their bites are changing all the time, their mouth's changing all the time. So they work really well with that. The best mouth guard is a custom mouth guard. To make a custom mouth guard, we first take an impression of the athlete so that we have a model, and then we make the mouth guard on the model. There's two different ways to do that, one with a vacuum and the best way is with the heat pressure machine because it doesn't thin out the material. And with the heat pressure technique, we can also stack the material. What I mean by that is the mouth guard material comes in 3-millimeter sheets, thicknesses. So when I make a mouth guard for, say, field hockey, which is a highly contact sport that young ladies play, I make a 6-millimeter mouth guard. For basketball, I may just make a 3-millimeter mouth guard but the the big advantage of this custom mouth guard is that it actually it fits really well. It stays in and won't come out. The athlete can breathe the athlete can talk, so it, it's just a big advantage. So a lot of times I hear the athlete say, "Well, I don't want a mouth guard because I can't breathe. Well, you can't breathe with these, and you can't talk with these. I guess when it comes down to it, the custom mouth guard is the best if you can't get one if your dentist doesn't make him." I would say get a, a, a good boil and buy one.
1: Yeah, for sure. And then obviously wear it the right way, unlike what we see a lot of athletes do, where they're just chewing on it or they keep it on the side of their helmet if exactly. it's a helmeted sport. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or in their locker. Because I tell the athletes, I said, "This is a great
0: mouthguard, but if you don't wear it, it doesn't work." Right. Uh, exactly. You, know, you have to have it in your mouth, in place, to work, and they do work. I mean, I always tell the story that uh, I do field hockey at St. Lucie and. I don't know much about field hockey except they play with a, a ball about the hardness of a cue ball in pool. Yeah. I and mean, they give these ladies clubs. I mean, that's all I know about. It. And it's very fast. They yeah. wet the field. The field's really slick. The ball goes fast. Well, about five years ago, I had a young lady get hit in the mouth. She had her mouth guard in, and it's, she had a through-and-through through laceration of upper lip, just her upper lip. No damage to the teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh following year, I had a young lady who came out of practice, took her mouth guard out of her mouth, just as the ball deflects off the goalie, hits her square in the mouth, and she involves five teeth. Uh. That was pretty much of a warning, me just putting her back together. I felt really bad for her, not just that she lost her teeth, but she was a, a student from Belgium she was a freshman and she'd been in the United States about five days. So it was kind of traumatic. You know, the teeth went back in and she was happy and healthy with them. But the long-term prognosis of the teeth is probably not that good, but uh, at least they're there for now.
1: Paul, we have a feature of our podcast. We call it the Pearl of the Podcast. It's a time where we ask our guests to give kind of a take-home nugget of information, something that you think would be you know, basically something that everybody should have at least some general knowledge of related to, to sports dentistry. That could be anything you think that you would really like that you would hope that any athletic trainer or team physician would take home from our podcast today.
0: Well, you know, when I lecture to athletic trainers, I tell them, oh, you have to be able to recognize the basic injuries. I mean, is, is the tooth fractured? Is it knocked out? Stuff like, that. you know, but those things are, I think, pretty obvious but what I tell them is you really have to have a plan. Once there's a dental injury, you can't be looking around for a dentist to treat that. You should have somebody already kind of on, on your phone that you can call. Or if you don't have a dentist, have a hospital that you know treats dental injuries. And there's a couple in St. Louis that do. You know, you you may have a great general dentist. You, might, you know, you might be super, but he may not be good at treating dental injuries. It may not be something he does. So it really... I think, behooves the athletic trainers and, and, you know, honestly, the physicians too, because if something happens in your neighborhood, the physician neighbor is a prisoner that's going to get called. So I always recommend that they, you know, have have a, a kind of a plan B or a plan A to go about taking care of this injury. April is Facial Protection Month, so we encourage people to wear their mouth guards. I would encourage everybody to have their children, their grandchildren, their neighbors Wearing mouth guards, so that's my pearl as far as sports injuries and preventing sports injuries. If I could, I'd like to mention oral cancer. About fifty-five thousand people a year are diagnosed with oral cancer, and the five-year survival rate is only about fifty-seven percent. And it's not because oral cancer is that moves that is that deadly or it you know, moves rapidly or metastasizes that quickly is because it's not diagnosed early enough. So I encourage everybody to, if there's something strange in their mouth, I don't know what it is, if there's a sore that doesn't go in a, away in a week, have somebody look at it. Have your dentist look at it. I mean, I look at every patient that I see and, you know, I'll see something that doesn't look right. A lot of times I have no idea what it is. I send him for a biopsy. So I think that we can save some lives just by doing that. A bonus
1: pearl for sure. Um you know what, yeah Just in commenting on your, your pearl there, Paul, I think it's funny that we as physicians, athletic trainers, we may have no problems reducing a dislocated joint, but, but as you mentioned earlier, people have the heebie-jeebies about putting a tooth back into the socket. But I, you know, again, I think what you kind of alluded to, and that's part of the purpose of this podcast is we're educating and realizing that those are okay things to do. And that's the preferred thing to do. So it's a matter of, of just go ahead and doing it. You know, as you mentioned, there's there's nothing worse you can do to it at that point. And, so and I wouldn't I wouldn't begin
0: to reposition a shoulder or anything like that. So
1: yep, we know we know where we're best at doing stuff, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd really like to thank you, Paul, for your expertise today and uh, being on our podcast. You, you've been a great colleague to me over the years. I hope that all of our listeners now have a little better grasp on how to protect and help the teeth if you come across any of these injuries. Be sure to check out our entire podcast library at pediatricsportsmedicinepodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at Peds sports pod. That's Peds plural with sports plural pod. We appreciate you leaving us feedback and comments and truly thank you for your five-star reviews through your favorite podcast streaming platform. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, your host, and this has been another episode of the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you will join us for future episodes find my entire library of episodes at pediatricsportsmedicinepodcast.com. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, and this has been the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast.